All right, if you got your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. All right, the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die. That he is, they're heading to Jerusalem and that he is going to be crucified. Now, this is the third time in Mark we've already seen this happen. Three times in the book of Mark, Jesus foretells his death to his disciples. Now, what's interesting is after each time he does, he follows that up with some teaching on discipleship. So he talks about his death, and then he talks about discipleship. Discipleship is what does it mean to follow Jesus? How, what does that look like? How are we to be his disciples, those who follow him? So the first time we see this is in Mark chapter 8, verses 31. through. You don't have to turn there. Uh, we're just going to kind of kind of review. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Jesus talks about how he's going to die. Uh, and then he follows that up with talking about if you're going to be his disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow after him. The second time is in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. He talks about how he is going to die. He foretells his death. And then you have uh, the, the disciples arguing about who is first. And Jesus talks about that, that those who follow him have to learn to place themselves last. Those who are first will be last. The last shall be first and servant of all. And then the third time is here. And so today we're going to look at kind of the cost of the cross. We're going to look at Jesus foretelling his death again. And then next week we will follow that up with another lesson on discipleship. Because that's how it's laid out. So I think it's interesting that that is laid out like that. But there's a reason why. Discipleship is linked to Jesus' death. Because Jesus didn't die only to save us. He died to change us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and He was rose again, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're not just getting kind of fire insurance. We're not just kind of making sure that, that we've got our eternity settled and then we just do and live how and what we want. As we are saved by Jesus, uh, He is now our Father. He is now our King. He is now our Lord. So our lives are to be lived with us following after Him. Where He is God, He is the King, and we are His disciples. We are the ones that follow after Him. In Mark chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. This is what Jesus says before He ascends into heaven. He tells His disciples, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when he tells his disciples that he is leaving, he gives them this commandment. He says, not just go make converts. or no, Not just go get people to believe. He says, no, go make disciples. Have them observe the things that I have taught you. Discipleship is what God is moving us to. Is once we're saved, God wants to change us. He wants us to look more like Him. He wants us to live lives that glorify and honor Him. He wants us to live lives where we are living less and less, giving over to sin and temptation because God knows because he loves us, that sin destroys our life while obeying Him and following Him. That's where hope is found. That's where joy is found. That's where life is found. So, before we read the passage, let me give you this encouragement. Because let me just, just being honest, there are some times when uh, maybe you're hearing someone preach or teach the Bible and they're covering maybe a passage that you already know or a topic that you already know pretty well. It's sometimes easy to kind of mentally shut off. Okay, I know this. I understand all this. I'm going to daydream about 
hunting or fishing or football or whatever it is. Maybe you're going to take a nap. Just don't snore. Let me give you a couple of encouragements. One, whenever the Word of God is taught or it's preached or it's read, always keep an open heart and open ears because no matter how many times you've read a passage, God can still speak. God can still encourage. God can still challenge. So we never want to shut off from God's Word. Secondly, the gospel is a, a, a history-changing, also a life-changing event. And so anytime we study and read the gospel, it should always drive us to, to worship and thankfulness for, for who God is and what He has done for us by sending His Son to die for us. And it's also something that we should be mindful of every day, understanding what God has done for us, who that makes us, and how we are desperately in need of Him day in, day out, for hope, for strength, uh, uh, for uh, the battle against temptation and sin. And so the gospel is a constant reminder of that. And also, just because we know the gospel does not mean that God cannot convict us or change us or encourage us once again through that same truth, but also through some of the secondary truths in the passage, God can still work in our lives. All right. So we're going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to make our way through the passage. And look, let me just tell you this. When I first kind of ran across, okay, this is what we're doing next. I was like, okay, I know that we've done this before. How do I I do this? Should we not skip past it, but just kind of run through it? And then the more I studied, there's some good stuff in this passage that we're going to see. Keep your eyes and ears and heart open because there's some good truths here as we begin to study it. All right, let's read 32 through 34. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and the cross. Father God, I pray that as we look uh, deeper and further into this truth, these things that Jesus are saying is saying, Father God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, God, that you would meet us where we're at with what we need. Father God, I pray that you would speak louder through your word and your spirit than my voice ever could. God, I pray that you are glorified and we are changed because of this time. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First thing I want us to see in verse 32 is that Jesus was focused on his purpose. And it said, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, this is why this is important. As they are going to Jerusalem, this is towards the end of Jesus' life. This is is leading into the last couple of weeks or the last week of Jesus' life. The story uh, happens probably within a few days, maybe a few weeks, before they enter into Jerusalem for that last week, that holy week, before Jesus is crucified. And so as they go towards this, as they go towards Jerusalem, Jesus knows what is going to happen. Jesus understands that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to die. He tells his disciples that. So why would he go to Jerusalem knowing what was waiting? He's going knowing what was waiting because Jesus' goal, Jesus' heart, Jesus' desire was to do God's will for his life. John 4.34 says this, 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Then John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus' heart, Jesus' desire, Jesus' goal while He was here on earth, and, and really through all of eternity, but while He was here specifically, His goal was to do the will of the Father, to do the will of the one who sent Him. Jesus came with a purpose. Jesus came with a mission. That mission was to die on the cross so all who desire to place their faith and trust in Him could be saved. We also see, or I want us to understand, that Jesus sought to do the will of God regardless of what it cost Him, or regardless of its cost for Him. One of my favorite stories is the story of Jesus in, in the garden before he, goes, uh, before he is arrested, before He goes through His trial, before He is crucified. And I believe it's the Gospel of Luke talks about how He is sitting there and He's praying and the, He's sweating drops of blood and He says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Not only was he physically going to suffer, but he was going to take the sin of man upon himself. He was going to take the fullness of God's wrath to satisfy it for those who would believe. He was about to take all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our punishment upon himself. He knew what was coming. And he said, God, if there's any other way possible for the salvation of man to occur, let it happen. But... Not my will, but yours be done. I submit fully and wholly and completely to you, regardless of what I'm about to suffer, regardless of the cost that comes towards me, regardless of what's about to happen. I'm placing my, my trust in you. I want your will to be accomplished. In fact, Luke chapter 9, verse 53 tells us uh, Jesus was going through, uh, I believe it was Samaria, and it says this, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Isaiah 57 talks about having your face set like flint. Jesus' face, his goal, he knew what was coming. And so he was setting his path and nothing was turning him to the left or to the right. Nothing was distracting him from the, the mission, the purpose, the goal that God had given him. So, if Jesus' purpose in life was to do God's will then ours should be exactly the same. So that leads us to a couple of different questions. One, how do we know God's will? Well, we've talked about this. There's a couple of places in God's Word where He gives us His specific will. I believe it's 1 Thessalonians where it talks about the will of God is for your, that you remain sexually pure, not given to sexual uh, uh, immorality, that you uh, abstain from that, that you are, are sanctified, that you are molded in the image of Christ. That there are several times where God specifically says this is God's will for your life. But honestly, anywhere where we are given a commandment in God's Word, that is God's will for our life. But typically, a lot of times in America, when the church, and there are books written on this, when we think about God's purpose for my life, our focus tends to be on ourselves. Our focus tends to be on me and what am I doing and what is my focus and what do I want to do and what are my dreams and can I accomplish my dreams. And that's how we think of God's purpose sometimes. And God's want to give me this dream or this purpose to accomplish let me just say this, when the Bible talks about God's purpose, when the Bible talks about God's will, it always speaks of His moral direct will of this is what it means to walk with God. This is what it means to follow God. This is what it means if you want to have a purpose, if you want to fulfill your purpose the way Jesus fulfilled His purpose. A big part of that is just looking at God's Word and saying, am I living as a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
In my marriage, am I loving my wife? Or are you loving your husband the way God has called us to and commanded to? Am I loving my children the way that God has called me and commanded me to? My, my passions and pursuits, are they falling in the right spot in my life? Remember, it's God, it's family, it's, it's the, the church, and then life. It's so, so my passions and pursuits, are they overtaking some other area in my life? Or are they in the spot that they are supposed to be in? If you want to know God's purpose, it's not this big choose-your-own-adventure mystery. Knowing God's purpose is pretty well laid out for us in God's Word. It's to know Him, it's to love Him, it's to follow Him, and it's to obey Him. It's to be a disciple that places Him first and foremost above all else. And if you want to do something else, if you want to change your job, if you want to go to school, whatever that is, then pray for wisdom. But God gives us a lot of freedom to make those decisions. God's will, or for us to fulfill God's purpose in our life, it's not, hey, am I going to be a garbage man or a lawyer? It's, hey, am I going to walk with God? Am I going to love God? Am I going to follow God? Am I going to live a life that magnifies and glorifies Him? That's what Jesus was doing. Specifically, his referred to him dying on the cross for our sins. So as they continue on this this path, we see in the rest of verse 32 that Jesus comforts his disciples in their fear. So it said that he was going towards Jerusalem. He was walking ahead of the rest. And then in the second half of verse 32, it says, And they were amazed. So they were amazed at his passion. They were amazed that he was going to Jerusalem. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen. Now, it says that they were amazed at him for going, but they themselves were terrified. They were filled with fear. And why is that? Because they understood that going to Jerusalem, that there was a whole lot of trouble waiting for them there. Now, let's kind of try to set up this timeline. Like I said a second ago, this is just, uh, we don't know the exact time when this is happening, but just kind of following through the, the story that we know they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is days, maybe a week or so, before they get to Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, Mark chapter 11, the beginning of Mark chapter 11, that's when they do the, the triumphal entry. That's when he comes to Jerusalem, that's Palm Sunday, that kind of starts that holy week. Just as a side note, what's neat uh, is uh, with us just going through here on Palm Sunday, we're going to be doing Mark chapter 11, uh, that same story. It just lines up like that. Um, Nothing special, just thought that was neat. Okay, so they're coming in to uh, Jerusalem in this time. So this is marking the beginning of Passover. Okay, well in John chapter 10... There's a story where Jesus is is teaching and he's talking with the Pharisees and he's talking with these Israelites in Jerusalem. And he tells them that he and the Father are one. And they want to stone him. They want to kill him because they call him a blasphemer because he is claiming equality with God. He is saying that he is God. And it tells us that this happens in the winter Before this Passover, so just a couple of months previous, they had been in Jerusalem and people had tried to stone Jesus because he had claimed to be God. So they left Jerusalem and now a few months later, spring is hitting, Passover time, they are coming back in to Jerusalem. So the disciples know this. And then John chapter 11 also tells us right before Passover that that's when the... the, The Pharisees are getting together and they're plotting on Jesus. They're plotting to, how are we going to get this guy? How are we going to take care of him? How are we going to kill him? 
So all of this is going on, and the disciples know this. The disciples understand that going to Jerusalem means you're walking into a hornet's nest. That's why in John chapter, or John chapter 11, verse 16, uh, once they go, or Lazarus has died, and they're going to go to Lazarus' house, which is there in that same area of Jerusalem, or on the outskirts. And Jesus basically blatantly tells his disciples, look, Lazarus is dead. He's been saying that he's asleep. They just kind of weren't putting two and two together. So Jesus says, look, Lazarus is dead. And it's for your sake that he is. I'm glad that he is. Basically, so you can see the power of God in his resurrection. Well, as he says that, Thomas, Thomas says, well, then let's go so we can die alongside him. They had every expectation that going to Jerusalem didn't just mean Jesus was going to die. It meant they were going to die. They were his followers. They were his disciples. They were the ones that were with him for this three, three and a half year span. So they understood that going to Jerusalem, not only going to cost Jesus his life, but very potentially we could die as well. It says that they were scared. They were amazed that Jesus was doing it. They were impressed by his, by his focus, by his determination. But they themselves, it says that they were afraid. So Jesus sits down with his disciples. He brings them in to reiterate what is going to happen. To tell them that there is a plan and a purpose behind what they're going through. Now what's neat is over the last couple of weeks, we've seen different times and different stories when the disciples are struggling or when they're afraid or when they don't understand. Jesus kind of gathers them up and begins to explain or tell them or comfort them in some way. One of the truths that we see here is that God will strengthen us to follow Him even when it is difficult or scary. See, the disciples, they see Jesus' obedience. They see Jesus doing this, but they themselves are scared. But what's good, what's encouraging, is that even though they are scared, much like Thomas' words in John, well, let's go ahead and go. Even if it means we're going to die, we're going to stick close to Jesus. You see, sometimes following God and obeying God, being a disciple, it can be difficult. It can, maybe it costs us a relationship or two, a friendship. Maybe it, it changes how we act and people, they're unsure about that. Maybe it, it impacts who we are. Maybe we've got to get rid of a hobby or we've got to get rid of something that, that we find worth and value in because it's not encouraging us or building us up in our faith. And sometimes that can be difficult. Sometimes following God can be scary. Sometimes following God means moving to two and a half hours away from home to Arkansas. Sometimes following God, I've had friends move to other countries across the world. And sometimes it can be difficult or scary to follow God's direction. But... But God in His grace can strengthen us. God in His grace can encourage us. God in His grace can can give us every ounce of strength that we need to do and be who God has called us to be. Sometimes we go through situations and we don't think that we can bear it and we don't think that we can handle it. And it seems way too big for us. And honestly, most of the time it is. But God takes those moments to show us His strength. God takes those moments to show us His grace, His power, and gives us that to lean on and to rest on. The great thing about Christianity is that God has not saved us and then left us and then pulls back and says, Now you go figure it out yourself. In the same way God places expectations on us to be His disciples, God helps us meet those expectations by being with us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to to live with us, to draw us closer to Him. He is always there with grace. He is always there with mercy. He is always there with strength when we turn to Him and trust Him. 
And so no matter what things you might be going in life that are difficult or that scary or that seem too big, understand that God is waiting there to say, I'm going to help you and wrap you up in my arms and give you the strength and encouragement you need if you will just turn to me and trust me. The disciples were terrified, but they still went because Jesus was going. And if Jesus was going to be there, that's where they wanted to be. And if Jesus was going to be there, then they knew that he was strong enough to do what needed to be done and to keep them, to keep them safe. They were going to follow him. Next, I want us to see in verses 33 and 34 that the severity of Jesus' suffering gives us a glimpse into the severity of our sin. This. Pull his disciples together and it says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Now, Jesus had to die for our sins. And this is the question that I asked as I read this passage. Okay, I understand Jesus had to die for my sins. I understand the, the, the idea of guilt. I understand this idea that, that I could not be good enough to save myself. And that, that I needed a redeemer. I needed someone to take my spot. Jesus did that. He was my substitution. But why did he have to be humiliated and, and beat the way that he did? See, even the things that Jesus lays out, he was humiliated when he was handed over to the Pharisees and they gave him this mock trial and they, 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 they beat him with their fists and they, they beat him with the, the cat of nine tails. They, they hammered that, uh, that crown of thorns into his head. They spat on him. They mocked him as they made him carry that cross through the streets. And then he hung on the cross for hours, straining to breathe, pushing up and pulling on those nails in his hands and his feet, trying to get air so he could stay alive until the appointed time for him to say, it is finished, and for him to die. Why did he have to suffer? Why could he not just go through a very quick and painless and easy death and pay for the penalty of our sins that way? Why did he have to suffer? And here's what I believe. I believe that his suffering... I believe that that what he went through is a representation or shows us the depth of our sin and of our guilt and of our shame. Jesus' suffering as part of God's plan shows the magnitude of our guilt and the extreme disobedience of our sin. Because of our sin... We deserve the the humiliation. We deserve the brutality. We deserve everything that he received plus some. But he took all of that for us. Not only did he die for us, but he was humiliated for us. He was beaten for us. He was mocked for us. And I believe what that shows us is it shows us not only the greatness of his love, but it also shows us the depth of our sin. Think about it this way. If I get in my car, well, my car is busted. If I get in my wife's van... And I go and I drive down the road and I run a stoplight or a stop sign. There's only one stoplight in this town. If I run a, a stop sign and I get pulled over, I might get a ticket. I might get a fine. Okay? So a, a, a small crime, small penalty. Now let's say I, I'm driving and I'm uh, uh, driving drunk. I don't drink, but let's say I'm driving, I'm driving drunk and I get caught and I get busted with a DUI. Well, then I might lose my license. And so a bigger crime, bigger penalty. Let's say I'm driving and I'm, I'm 
driving distracted or I'm driving reckless and I, and I hit somebody else and I, and I cause them to lose their life. But then maybe there's a, a manslaughter charge added to that. So all of a sudden, a bigger crime, bigger penalty. And let's say I'm driving and I purposefully steer my car into a crowd of people. I'm in jail for life or I lose my life. The greater the crime, the greater the punishment. We see that in our society. We understand that to be true. So for Jesus, this punishment that He is taking, this, this beating, this mocking, this, this, this uh, crown of thorns, the, the lashes, the 39 uh, times with the cat of nine tails, the cross, all the suffering He went through is because of the magnitude, is because of the depth of our sinfulness. It's because when we sin, we sin against a perfect, holy God. So as Jesus suffered, He suffered to show us that our sin is incredibly wretched and wicked. And that apart from Him, we have nothing. But while it shows us the depth of our sin, anytime we see the depth of our sin, we automatically see the flip side. We see the love of God. No matter how deep our sin is, God's love is greater. And Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, Jesus told His disciples, I'm going to go. They're going to hand me over. They're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. Jesus knew all of that, and He still went. Yes, because He wanted to obey God, because He loved God. But yes, because also He loved us. While He was on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved the people, even though they killed Him. He loved us, even though our sin put Him on that cross. And whenever we see the depth of our sin, even greater than that, we see the magnitude and the greatness of God's love pictured for us as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem, knowing what is waiting for Him. That leads us also to the end of verse 34, where it says, After three days He will rise. Jesus' grace is greater than the worst of our sins. Jesus died. He died on the cross. He suffered for us. But like we just said, no matter the depth of our sin, God's grace is always bigger. His death paid the penalty for our sin, and His resurrection gives us victory over sin and death. Because of Jesus, because of His death and resurrection, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer to fear sin. We are no longer to fear death. We are no longer guilty of our sin. Jesus took all of that. He took our guilt. He took our shame. He took our punishment. That's why we can stand before God this morning and we can sing praises. We can sing songs knowing that He hears that and it worships worships Him and magnifies Him. It's why we can pray and we know that God hears us, that our words are not just bouncing off of a ceiling. But as Hebrews says, we can boldly with confidence come to the throne of grace knowing that God hears our cries. He hears our petitions. He hears us begging. He hears our praises. God God hears it because of everything that Jesus did for us. Romans 8.1, one of the best verses in all of Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for us, we are no longer condemned. If we have placed our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all condemnation, all guilt, all judgment is wiped away. We no longer have to face the justice we deserve for our sins because Jesus has already taken it. He has already satisfied God's wrath towards us. We are no longer guilty. So what does this mean for us? 
One, the most important decision that you can ever make in your life is the decision to follow Jesus Christ. If you are in this room and there's never come a time in your life where you've recognized the depth of your sin and you've recognized apart from Jesus Christ without someone's help, His help, that all we deserve and all we can earn is hell and judgment. And that without Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But we acknowledge that Jesus Christ loved us, that He died for us, that He rose again, that He made a way that if we place our faith and trust in Him, which means if we believe that He is who He says He is and He has done what He has said He has done, if we believe that He can save us if we trust Him and we place our faith in that, meaning we, we surrender our life to Him, we, we trust in His work to be that which saves us, we, we lay our life at His feet. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If there's not come a time in your life when you've acknowledged your sinfulness and you've acknowledged what Jesus has done for you and you've put those things together by asking God's forgiveness and surrendering your life to Him, the greatest thing that you can do this morning, not for me, not for this church, but for you, is to take care of that and place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, Are you focused on living your life to the honor and glory of God? Jesus was focused on fulfilling the purpose that God placed before him. He was focused. He was not turning to the left or to the right. How are we doing in our lives? How are we doing in our obedience? Are we walking with God? Are we turning to the left or to the right? Are we chasing after this temptation? Are we chasing after this lie? Or is our heart, is our eyes, or our mind focused and set on Jesus and obeying Him and following Him and worshiping Him and living a life that glorifies and magnifies Him? And then thirdly, are you letting fear win out over your faith? Or are you depending on God's grace? There's times all throughout Scripture where we see people who are afraid. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through Judges, and we saw Gideon. And Gideon almost personifies what it means to be afraid. And yet, even though he was afraid, Gideon followed God's command. He obeyed God as he went out to take this battle, or to win this battle that God had given him. Because no matter how scared he was, he believed that God was bigger. I don't want to make light of anyone's struggles or fears or difficulties. But I want us to understand that that no matter how much you're struggling or no matter how big your fear or no matter how big that that difficulty or that roadblock in your life is, God is bigger. And if we replace our faith and trust in Him, then He will give us the strength to make us, to pull us through. He'll give us the wisdom to handle it. He will give us the grace to handle it. He's not going to leave us alone. He's promised us that. So let's... Let's bow our heads and pray.